Welcome to Tales of American History, the Witnessing History Education Foundation podcast, educating Americans to understand the history of their country and of other countries so that they will appreciate the value of America's unique free institutions. I'm your host, Genevieve Brown, and today I am speaking with Kent Masterson Brown, the president of Witnessing History Education Foundation, about one of our latest projects. Become an American hero who participates in our mission by joining us at witnessinghistory.org, the website of the Witnessing History Education Foundation. View for free the Foundation's documentary films on the website and on the Foundation's YouTube platform. View also the Foundation's free teacher education materials that conform to grade-level education standards, both on our website and at pbslearning.org. Follow Witnessing History on Facebook and Twitter. Now, take a journey back through time with us as we tell you about The Shot Heard Round the World, The Coming of the American Revolution, Colonial America to 1775. Welcome, Kent. Thank you. It's good to be here. So, Kent, tell me, we're in the process of producing a new film, and it's called The Shot Heard Round the World, The Coming of the American Revolution, Colonial America to 1775. Right. Where is WEF in the production? Uh, We have uh, completed the script. Uh, It is a 93-page script. Um, This is for a film of 90 minutes. And um, we have identified all the illustrations we're going to use in this film. And we have communicated with all the repositories that possess those documents and those those, uh, images. And so uh, we're now in the process of negotiating the acquisition of them. They're, they have to be licensed by yes. those repositories. They're sending us licensing agreements and oh, contracts and that, fees. That's, and... that's exactly right. These films we make are, um, I mean, to be frank, they're expensive. They're expensive to make. Well, tell and, me about some of the images and portraits that you're going to be using. Well, you're going to see um, some of the most remarkable portraits in America uh, on this on this film. Um, uh the uh, John Singleton Copley uh, was the great portraitist of uh, Boston, and um, thank goodness he was. Thank goodness he was there, because he is the one who painted the portraits of virtually all the major actors in this drama. Um, General Thomas Gage, for instance, uh, is one of the British uh, governor of Massachusetts. Uh, and commander of British forces in, in North America. Um, you'll see uh, glorious paintings of Samuel Adams, of um, Joseph Warren, Dr. Joseph Warren. What about Paul Revere? Did, uh, we'll see, you'll see a glorious painting of Paul Revere. Did, did Copley paint his portrait? Yes, he did. He did? Yes, he did. Now, who would have afforded that? Because could could Paul Revere have afforded it? I know he was a silversmith by trade, but he also had 17 children. Yeah, he did. So who would have paid for Paul Revere to have his portrait done? Did he do that? Well, I think Paul Revere did, but also Copley wanted his portrait. I see. Because Paul Revere, by the time Copley painted him, mm-hmm. uh, had... Um, 
made a little name for himself. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you see in the portrait is not the Paul Revere on a horse. Right. You see him behind a table holding a a silver uh, teapot that Mm -hmm. he made. Mm -hmm. And um, you see him as a silversmith, which Mm -hmm. is what he was. Oh, the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston has a beautiful collection of his silver. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Museum of Fine Arts in Boston is one of our our principal partners uh, partners Mm -hmm. and um, uh, providing us with a host. Frankly, all the portraits I just mentioned come from the Museum of Fine Arts in Mm -hmm. Boston, as well as the portrait of John Hancock, the one of him seated at the table. We have two portraits of him in this painting, in this uh, in this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other comes from the uh, Massachusetts Historical Society. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, then there are other portraits we have of um, Mercy Otis Warren, uh, the uh, wonderful playwright, um, and then uh, author of um, the Song of Liberty. Um, uh, we we don't we don't we don't uh, forget the ladies in this film because there are, some of them are tremendous characters and and so worthy of 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 discussion. Margaret Kemble Gage, the mm-hmm. wife of General Gage, mm-hmm. is another one. We have the portrait. We have to get this portrait though from San Diego, but this portrait shows her seated in a chair in this wonderful pose. But she is the one who on the eve of General Gage ordering British troops to leave Boston, cross the Charles River, and march to Lexington and ultimately conquered to seize weapons there. She's the one who reportedly went to Dr. Joseph Warren Mm -hmm. and told him of the happening, what's going to happen. And it was from her to him and then from Warren to all the other sons of liberty in Boston mm. that the, uh, the, the cry went out. Mm. Um, and even before Paul Revere got writing – and by the way, Paul Revere, as you'll see in this film, is one of many, many writers – Mm-hmm. Who went out that night of the of the eighteenth of April to warn everybody in four surrounding counties around uh, Boston, mm-hmm. and uh, they warned everyone. And so by the time the British got underway, they could hear drum beats from every town around them. <laughs> they could hear gunshots, um, all because they these people had been warned by not just Paul Revere, who was a significant writer, but a host of others. An entire network. Yes, really. an entire network had been put together. All of us are familiar uh, from childhood with Longfellow's poem, mm-hmm. Paul Revere's Ride. Yes. On the 18th of April in 75, <laughs> hardly a man is now alive. That's right. And he portrays Paul Revere as the lone voice. Oh, yeah. You know, riding through the countryside oh, yeah. and saying, the British are coming. Oh, yeah. But in reality, the Sons of Liberty were an extensive... Yeah. informed network. And That's I guess right. they even had the very highly placed spy, you know, General Gage's wife kind of oh, assisting yes. them. Oh, now, yes. what would have motivated her? Um, why were her loyalties divided, do you think? Was uh, she an American? Yes. Okay. She, she was an American. She came from New Jersey. 
And um, but she's her a... family were mm-hmm. all all had ties to New York. Mm-hmm. And the name Kemble is a name you see up and down the Hudson River Valley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so she she claimed her connection to New York more than anything because that's where all her family came from, where they first settled and so forth. Mm-hmm. The idea that her husband would launch an offensive against Americans was something she could not live with. Mm-hmm. And she later in life was asked about her role in this. And she never admitted she did this. Mm-hmm. But she did quote from Shakespeare's play, uh, King John, mm-hmm. where King John, of course, is run down at Runnymede by the barons who opposed his rule and wanted him to sign Magna Carta. Well, as she said in her response, quoting, and I'll paraphrase it, mm-hmm. quoting um, uh, King John, that um, uh, I'm in a position where if I win, I lose, no matter what. Mm-hmm. So she could side with her husband and lose. Mm-hmm. She could betray a secret to the colonials and lose. Mm -hmm. There was no way out of it for her Mm -hmm. because of who she was and what she was. Do you think General Gage uh, suspected that she'd been a source for the information getting out in that April day? Yeah, we don't know. What we do know is this, that literally days after the—and it was a British disaster— the mm-hmm. Lexington and Concord venture. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, they just got pummeled, uh, particularly on their way back to Boston. Mm-hmm. And that only got badly handled by the colonials. But um, the colonials beat them to the punch on the, on the public relations end, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made them look like a bunch of cutthroats. Made the British look like a bunch of cutthroats. And uh, after all this humiliation, Gage, and this tells you why she probably was what mm-hmm. she's suspected of being, mm-hmm. he shipped her to, to Britain. Mm. Yes. And uh, here out now of, is— Well a, out of the way. Well out of the way. and um, Where she couldn't communicate with the Sons of Liberty. Couldn't communicate with much of anybody, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there she was, like, uh, in, in isolation. Mm-hmm. And— was there for much of the war. And um, when they finally reunited in England, um, the marriage ended. Mm. And um, it was after all that when she was approached about this and quoted the King John, mm-hmm. the play of, uh, of Shakespeare. And So she remained pretty coy. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so let's talk a little bit about Mercy Otis Warren. You know, she's so interesting. She's a satirist. She's She writes anonymously right. before the war and during the war, but in 1805 publishes a three-volume history of the American Revolution under her own name. Under her own name. This yeah. is a highly educated young lady. Tell us more about her upbringing. She's an Otis. She's an Otis. Yeah. She's the sister of uh, James Otis Jr. Mm-hmm. James Otis Sr., 
um, was a prominent lawyer in Boston. Mm -hmm. James Otis Jr. became a uh, prominent lawyer in, in Boston as well, and then became a member of the Massachusetts Assembly. Mm -hmm. And um, he became one of the, the chief one of the chief agitators against British policy in particularly in Boston and in North America, uh, particularly after um, they had defeated the Stamp Act. And then they come along and enact the Townshend duties, which is just like repeating the same bad mistake mm -hmm. with the colonies. Mm -hmm. Then James Otis became a... Uh, 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 interested and uh, was enlisted uh, by Samuel Adams, among others, and uh, became very active in there. Well, and, and Mercy Otis marries. Okay, so she she is tutored alongside James, her brother, right. all the while that they're growing up. And he's being prepared for Harvard, right. where she can't attend. Right. However, she can access everything he learned by working with him before working he went. Him. Yes. Then she ends up marrying James Warren. James Warren. Who is right. one of his best friends, and I take it, Joseph Warren's brother. They're, is that right? They're, they're closely related, yes. Yes. So so they're they're all connected with this <laughs> Sons of Liberty yeah. and this yeah. force in Boston. Yeah, she, she composed um, plays. The, the Adulator. The Adulator mm -hmm. uh, was, was one. The Defeat was another. Mm -hmm. And these were satires. Uh, uh, against the uh, the crown mm -hmm. and British rule, mm -hmm. and um, it became very popular. Well, let's let's discuss why the, those plays were so popular. What what was going on in the colonies vis-a-vis -vis Britain that made it such a hot topic, such a a flashpoint for so much uh, so much talk of. Mm -hmm. Of revolution and liberty. What? 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 Let's talk a little bit about the facts about living in Boston, mm -hmm. occupied Boston, yeah. in the 1770s. Um, Boston is 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 it is an interesting a place for the um, revolt to begin, but it does begin there. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at uh, uh, the uh, the American colonies broadly, mm -hmm. and. Um, even though all 13 of them were founded by Englishmen, mm -hmm. they were all given charters by the king. Uh, and this is every one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, still, by even 1754, and these colonies were founded very early, 1607, 1632. Uh, they, they, they've been around for a while, uh, all under English rule. Uh, no problem. Most of the people at the beginning were not only English, but they were members of the Church of England. What's also interesting to think about is that their architecture resembled precisely what was you see in, in Great Britain. Oh, sure. If you um, go to Williamsburg or exactly. to New Bern, North Carolina, New Bern. and see Tryon Palace. <clears throat> right. Or the Governor's Palace in Williamsburg, Gov as you mm -hmm. say, is a, is a carbon copy of what you would have seen in London. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that architecture is referred to as Georgian, named for King George II. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you would have thought America would be cozy, particularly and, Boston. 
And New England. Right. They, it was Little England. It was still Little England. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, some of these colonies, though, uh, had seen change mm-hmm. over the years. And um, among those who brought about the change were the influx of new peoples into the colonies from overseas. And I think uh, you, you, you have to look at, and this is true of all the colonies, but principally those the middle colonies and southern colonies, you saw um, African-American slaves. You also saw them in New York, Boston. You saw them all throughout the colonies, but principally in the, uh, in the states where they grew large amounts of, of um, indigo, cotton, rice, uh, rice mm-hmm. tobacco, which is labor-intensive. Mm-hmm. And there's where you saw the large bulk of them. But, I mean, by 1754, there were 300,000 of them. Mm-hmm. Which is a large number, but mm-hmm. um, in a in a in a in a world here where we're talking about a, a million and a half people in total, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the colonies in 1754. But um, so you saw them, but you also saw a groups of people who were politically important would become politically important, and those principally were the Scottish Irish mm-hmm. or Scots Irish. Mm-hmm. These are people who lived along the border between England and Scotland for many, many, many years. Uh, they were dissenters from the Church of England in when they were in England. Mm-hmm. And they were Presbyterians. And they were basically, the minute the crown got rid of the Catholics in, nor- in Northern Ireland, they settled the Scottish-Irish over there. Mm-hmm. Now, these people are really neither Irish nor Scottish. It's just where they lived. And uh, most of them were English, but, but they were dissenters. But not in, right, not entirely loyal to the English no, crown. No, no, and, no. Okay. Nor to its church, mm-hmm. for which everybody paid taxes by then, mm-hmm. by, back then. Mm-hmm. And so these, these Scottish-Irish then were picked on by Parliament uh, because of what they were. They tried to fine them for not being members of the Church of England. Mm-hmm. Then they... They prohibited them from taking any position in government or even in the military. Mm. And then they boycotted their goods they made. Mm-hmm. So they were just starving them out slowly. Mm-hmm. And eventually, uh, huge numbers of Scottish-Irish came to America. They first tried to settle in New England. They weren't particularly welcome there. Uh, they then gravitated into Pennsylvania and ultimately into the Shenandoah Valley, mm-hmm. uh, where many of them stayed, and into western, what is now western North Carolina and western South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, these people made a huge difference. I, 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 in some respects, I wonder whether there would have been a revolution that would have encompassed all 13 of those colonies but four the Scots-Irish. That's an interesting theory. <clears throat> oh, yeah. and it's it's stunning. Mm-hmm. And it's stunning how many of those Scottish-Irish came into Kentucky mm-hmm. uh, during the war. Mm-hmm. Um, there, so you have the, you have the Scottish-Irish. Then you have uh, other peoples, the Germans. Uh, you think of all the turmoil in the German states. Mm-hmm. The Palatinate. Uh, mm-hmm. All the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of it was turmoil over religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Germany is dominated by the Roman Catholic Church, and so many of these were dissenters in the German states to the um, Roman Catholic faith. And and these people became um, uh, 
Dunkers, Lutherans, uh, Mennonites, uh, Moravians, Moravians reformed. Uh, some of them Dutch Reformed, mm-hmm. um, and um, uh, Quakers. Well, to a degree, most of those were from England, okay. the, the Quakers. Mm-hmm. But the Moravians and the um, Mennonites, pacifists, mm-hmm. uh, these people poured into America as well. William Penn, who founded the colony of Pennsylvania, welcomed them. Mm-hmm. And by the outbreak of the revolution, one-third of the population of Pennsylvania were uh, these people, mm-hmm. Germans, who practiced a variety of different religions. So again, not not historically loyal to the English crown. No, and then and then also in in New York and South Carolina, you've got French Huguenots who are yes. the French Protestants escaping persecution in in Catholic France. In France, right, mostly. Again, <clears throat> not loyal to the English crown by any means, no. and they're now in these settlements in right. South Carolina and New York. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, they uh, estimate that um, in 1685, more than 500,000 Huguenots uh, left France wow. and entered Holland, Prussia, uh, and England. Mm-hmm. And these people were not welcome, really. Uh, the, the, the crown allowed them to, a place to live along the Thames River, uh, but they really were kind of the odd man out for the English. And frankly, their interest in leaving England was acute. And so they poured into the American colonies. My own family up in New York found a, a place for the Huguenots to live. And they refer to that today as New Rochelle. Mm, mm-hmm. And they named it for where they came from in France. In France, sure. I think for purposes of the Scots-Irish, I think more than 200,000 came into America mm-hmm. from uh, Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. And some of those were among the founders of, frankly, Kentucky, ultimately. And so in, by 1754... Tell me a little bit. So we, we, I'm getting the idea that in the colonies, you're starting to have a huge collection of different pe- diverse right. peoples, right. different interests, diverse right. interests. Right. And then worldwide, aren't we on the brink of, of basically the world's first war? Yes, we are. Because yes, we that's are. the seven. That's is that when the beginning of the Seven Years' War is? It, it, well, it, it it somewhat began, not declared, but it somewhat began in 1755. Okay. In America, when um, General Braddock marched a force out of Alexandria, Virginia, entered into Pennsylvania to try to stop a French fort from being built at the forks of the Ohio River, which is now Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, they got as far as the Monongahela River, which runs just east of Pittsburgh, and they were ambushed. And uh, Braddock was mortally wounded. His aide was none other than Lieutenant Colonel George Washington, mm-hmm. who had himself tried to take a contingent of troops out there and failed at that. Um, but um, the, the, his army broke apart. And um, 
So we have George Washington serving in the British militia. Yeah, well, he was a militia. He was a Virginia militia. Virginia man. militia man. Yeah, for the British. But he was there army. under the uh, banner mm-hmm. of Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. And the French and and the <clears throat> Indians have allied themselves Correct. on the frontier. Correct. Against. Correct. And that's what that's what's pulled the trap on the on the ambush where mm-hmm. where the uh, the Indian tribes that allied with the with the French. Mm-hmm. But the conflict here is really part of a a context globally. It it was it it, it wasn't it hadn't broken out into con, into war mm-hmm. globally by then uh but it was certainly in the offing uh, mm-hmm. over the uh, just the the the, uh, the conflict between Britain and France over trade, um, over uh, possessions <laughs> in the far reaches of the world. Yeah, those two had been at it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Hated one another. Mm-hmm. I think if you still scratch an Englishman today, he'll have nothing good to say about a Frenchman. And uh, but. It it didn't take but a year after Braddock's defeat for Great Britain and its allies, and that included the Kingdom of Prussia, Mm -hmm. uh, Portugal, and the electorate of Brunswick-Luneburg. Now, interesting, the Brunswick-Luneburg is Hanover. Okay, northern Germany. Yeah. And um, uh, the royal family today— Mm. are from the electorate of Brunswick-Luneburg. Mm. That's uh, the Hanover, Hanoverians. They're Hanoverian mm-hmm. uh, Germans. And um, they went to war against France, and France was allied with the uh, Austria-led Holy Roman Empire, uh, the Russian Empire, the Kingdom of Spain, and the Swedish Empire. Imagine this. This is a world war. Mm-hmm. And this begins in 1756. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it lasts for uh, uh, eight years. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until um, uh, 1763 that a treaty was finally signed in Paris, bringing that war to an end. But that was not after Britain had defeated France in what is now Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they took Fort Louisburg, Fort Frontenac, which is now Kingston, Ontario, mm-hmm. and Fort Duquesne, which is now Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and um, and then finally in 1759 defeated the French on the plains of Abraham at Quebec, mm-hmm. um, and with that defeat, uh, France basically folded the tent. Now the problem, though is that in spite of the fact that uh, Britain had scored all these victories, um, they were in debt uh, like you couldn't imagine as a result of prosecuting a war like that. Sure, they're overextended. I mean, Britain's this tiny island and they're they're fighting all over Canada and the North American <laughs> continent. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's got to have been just Yeah, so I mean, it, it, I'll give you a, an idea of the debt Britain faced um at the end of that war, they had a they had a debt in their currency of 130 million pounds sterling. Mm-hmm. Today, mm-hmm. that debt 
would be $25 trillion. Oh, my. Yes. So huge. (laughs) Wow. And they had no way of paying that debt. No. And yet they'd fought a war to establish some boundaries in these outer reaches of North America. And, you know, know, it wasn't even the North – even though William Pitt – who had become the Earl of Chatham mm-hmm. later on, or William mm-hmm. Pitt, a great fan of the Americans. Mm-hmm. William Pitt was the one who, who the king put in place, George II, to prosecute that war. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he, he combined most of his forces in North America. Mm-hmm. That's where he thought, if we can beat France there, mm-hmm. then um, we can win this war. Mm-hmm. And then what he did, he used the British Navy to basically neutralize France mm-hmm. everywhere else. So they not only defeated the French in North America soundly, but they even took from France Havana. Oh, my. <laughs> Manila. I mean, this is the Philippines. That's This is East. how far flung oh, this really war is. was. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. And so, but they paid a price, mm-hmm. an enormous, enormous price. It sounds like Pitt really believed in the vision of of America and New England mm-hmm. helping Britain turn its financial picture around. He yeah. really believed in the vision of developing the resources and the population in America as a source of income yeah. for the, for the for Britain. Yeah, the problem with with Pitt though, according to I mean to the king, mm-hmm. was that uh, he was a he was a warrior. Mm. And what Britain was facing at the end of the war were uh, countries like France, like Austria, like Portugal or Spain, um, being angry, jealous, uh, disliking England in ways that were not healthy for the stability of the of the of Western Europe. And the king, then George II, asked Pitt to step down. Mm-hmm. And instead, he appointed George Grenville, who, mm-hmm. was, who was Pitt's brother-in-law, <laughs> to oh. become prime minister. <laughs> really, actually, he was, he was named Northern Secretary and First Lord of the Admiralty under um, the prime minister. Then was Sir John Stuart, the Earl of Butte. Uh, but... Here you get George Grenville now coming into the British governmental establishment in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole thrust of he being there is that the king wanted him, Grenville, to engineer some sort of treaty that could bring that war to an end. Mm-hmm. Even though it basically ended, the shots weren't being fired. Right. Still, he wanted to quell the the problems the war generated. Mm-hmm. So in seventeen um, uh, uh, sixty three, they signed the Treaty of Paris that uh, that Grenville assisted in putting together. Uh, did that uh, uh, make France feel any better? Probably not. Um, we know not because once the revolution broke out here, what did France do? It joined the colonies <laughs> to fight Britain again. <laughs> so it, uh, the greatest plan of mice and, mice and men. Mm-hmm. But so, so here you are. You got the British government 
And it's, it's not only got this incredible debt, but now how does it address that debt? Uh, and how does it uh, operate otherwise? Well, one thing for sure is that you've got to keep the expenditures down, mm-hmm. right? Sure. You get in debt, so you have to lower your expenses. We have to retrench. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so what, 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 is, what does Grenville wind up recommending? And Grenville now becomes a dominant figure in the British government. Mm-hmm. He recommends the king sign a royal proclamation in 1763, which would prohibit settlement of, of colonists uh, beyond the mountain ranges of Georgia, the Carolinas, Virginia, Pennsylvania, all the way up to present-day Vermont. He, he, if you take the Continental Divide, mm-hmm. which is the, the summit of those mountains, mm-hmm. you got the Green Mountains, the Allegheny Mountains, the Appalachian Mountains, the Smoky Mountains. You go along the Continental Divide, the top of those mountains, mm-hmm. and draw a line. Mm-hmm. It was that that became the line of demarcation. And he prohibited settlement west of that line. And that was just to limit his own expenditures it, in terms of security, security military, defense, defense. etc. He, he knew the, there would be a war out there. But we already know that the people who, who started living in those mountains when they got here were... <laughs> the Scots-Irish. Scots-Irish. From the among, Highlands. Among and many others. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and they had no intention of honoring the proclamation of 1763. Mm-hmm. It's such None. an arbitrary idea. Oh, it is. <laughs> it is. When you, when you think, here's the proclamation of 1763, and what does Daniel Boone do in uh, 1769, mm-hmm. he comes into Kentucky. Mm-hmm. He crosses it. <laughs> and he, he <laughs> the he, red line. He, he explores <laughs> it. He explores it for almost a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And he goes back and then packs up his family and moves here. Mm-hmm. Tries to anyway. Mm-hmm. So, and Boone was just one of hundreds. You're right. You can't stop that you, you, once. Yeah, yeah. You cannot stop it. And mm-hmm. the the proclamation. Uh, well, of course, what it did initially was brought about some furor uh, in America over uh, its um, its terms and um, where are they going to enforce it and how are we going to enforce this? And you're mm-hmm. not going to do it against me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to go there. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, the king, even in the proclamation, set aside everything else beyond that line as an as an Indian preserve. Really. I didn't know that. <laughs> huh. And so uh, this just did not ring very well with, with those people living on the borders. And so that was their attempt to stop expenses. And then the question was, how do we pay the debt down? <laughs> okay, we it's can. It's time for taxes. <laughs> yeah, we we can keep. Maybe, maybe we can keep from paying troops to go in there and defend the borders mm-hmm. uh, of America. But how do we get the debt down? Mm-hmm. Well, Grenville um, in 1764, the year later, uh, began reviewing the British, and these were voluminous acts of trade and navigation. You can imagine with a uh, an island empire 
like Britain, <laughs> how many acts of trade and navigation they've got. <laughs> and um, he, uh, he, he got down so far that he recommended to Parliament that it require the colonies to purchase Madeira, the wine. From Portugal. Only, uh, only through British shippers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now, historically, the colonies got their Madeira from the Portuguese. Sure. Um, uh, they bartered for it using things like barrel staves. Um, and this requirement uh, would destroy the trade, totally destroy the trade of mm-hmm. Madeira in, in, in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, then um, he, um, uh, he got Parliament to interdict itself or in between the colonists and their and their and their money by uh, making them uh, uh, export hosts of other items using only british ports okay so so letting the british monopolize trade, trade. is what he was looking for he's he's his parliament he got parliament to just basically monopolize the trade but but all the while the colonists had been developing all kinds of trade, trading habits oh, and customs. Absolutely, of their own this whole time. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Then in seven, in uh, he he looked at the old molasses act, <laughs> okay, and he decided to make a uh, uh, variation on that, uh, amendments to that. And I said, you know, it's interesting. The um, uh, the colonists used to import black molasses uh, from the French and the Spanish West Indies mm-hmm. um, by trading all kinds of things like dried fish, lumber, naval stores, horses, whatever. It's mm-hmm. barter. Mm-hmm. And they would take that black molasses and make rum. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I get this by 1750. Massachusetts alone exported two million gallons of rum a year. That's incredible. That's that's like in the in the uh, late eighteenth yeah. century, how Kentucky was was exporting bourbon. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in the early part of the nineteenth century. Yeah, it's it's a huge amount of three hundred thousand gallons a a month mm-hmm. out of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you you try to tinker with the molasses, mm. and you cripple a huge sector economy. of the Massachusetts economy. Yeah, and um, it he, they doubled the import duties on rum. Mm-hmm. Parliament did, and uh, you just saw between uh, the molasses act and um, and the uh, the uh, the introduction of Madeira trade. Uh, the bankruptcies just erupted in mm. Boston in particular. Mm. And so Boston was really hit hard very early. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, they, the first time a colony called upon other colonies to come to their defense was as a result of this. Mm-hmm. And Massachusetts, the legislature called Rhode Island, New York, and Pennsylvania to help and so they met, representatives met. This is the first time you see this happen, hmm. is as a result of the um, uh, 1764 duties that uh, uh, Grenville put on. So the British exercising this kind of power interfering with trade mm-hmm. 
is what made this colony call on the other colonies. That's right. That's right. Up until then, it was really 13 separate colonies. But now they're finding reasons to to hang together against the crown. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But that's where not where it stops. Mm-hmm. Um, on March 22nd, 1765, Parliament enacted the Stamp Act. Now, this is where it blew up. Um, and it was to become effective on November 1, 1765. And it was a direct tax upon a whole variety of licenses and publications and uses of vellum and paper. Mm. And it required you to buy a, ta- a, a, a stamp mm-hmm. for Every time you used any kind of paper or vellum. Yeah. And uh, you'll see on the screen in, um, in the film mm-hmm. the stamp act itself. And the camera will run down the page and you'll see all the different uses of vellum that are going to be taxed and paper. It's just 50 different kinds of uses and taxes. Mm. And this is becoming this is outrageous. Mm-hmm. Just outrageous. This this is so <clears throat> informative too because in our current day, if you mention a stamp, people are thinking a postage <clears throat> stamp. Right. But we're not talking about that kind of a stamp. Right. We're talking about an an a mark indicating that you had paid a tax on the use on the use of, of that paper. The paper. Yes. So yeah. can you imagine? No, oh my. no, no, no. No. And um uh it, it, it went even farther. The, uh, if you violated this, you tried to go without the stamp, <laughs> um, you, uh, you would be tried. You would be prosecuted at the discretion of the prosecutorial authorities in admiralty courts in any part of his majesty's realm. Oh, I see. So it's not even – you're not even tried by a local court. No, or a jury. Or a jury of your peers. you got a bunch of Navy officers up there mm-hmm. and who are there because they're related to the king, frankly. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where they're getting their, 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 their epaulets mm-hmm. is from the king. And mm-hmm. uh, most of them have relationships with the, with the, sure. with the royal uh, house. Sure. So – and so – that's who's going to try you. Mm-hmm. But this is, you know, we, we have in our own constitution the sanctity of the jury trial, mm-hmm. of a trial by a jury of his or her peers mm-hmm. is what it says. Mm-hmm. And this is where You can this see is where why this came from. from. You can sure. See Absolutely. Yeah. And here the outcry was, it's not only the, the money over the stamps, but you are denying any citizen the right to be tried by a jury of his peers. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, this is the first time you see uh, a a solid unified effort Mm -hmm. on the colonies to do something about it. And of course, this is where you see 29-year-old Patrick Henry in Virginia Mm -hmm. stand up and introduce nine resolutions Mm-hmm. Before the House of Burgesses, the General Assembly of Virginia, mm-hmm. uh, condemning the Stamp Act mm-hmm. and saying things like, "We are equal." Uh, the this General Assembly in Virginia is equal to Parliament in 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 controlling the laws and affairs of Virginia. Mm. <laughs> now he didn't say we're going to revolt. 
No. But that's about as close as you get mm-hmm. to doing it. Mm-hmm. And what really stung these people was not only the money, but the loss of those fundamental rights right. that they had grown up with. That autonomy. Right. Sure. Your right. birthright. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So um, ultimately, uh, Grenville was forced out of office. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1765, and Charles Watson Wentworth, the uh, second Marquis of Rockingham, became the prime minister. And he was prime minister really only for a really short while. But what he did try to do was form an alliance with William Pitt to try to get rid of the, um, of the Stamp Act. And ultimately, um, uh, the colonies formed the Stamp Act Congress. Mm-hmm. The first attempt on the part of all the colonies to— Did they all send representatives they to They all sent representatives except a few of them could not because of a smallpox outbreak. Oh, gosh. And the, <laughs> uh, this is Virginia, Georgia, Maryland, New Hampshire, North Carolina could not attend because of smallpox. Because of smallpox. Small, wow. Yeah, yeah. And, so, so this is all just so timely, the yeah, things you're talking about. It is. Um, even down to the details of a pandemic. It's right. so interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, even William Pitt gets up in in the uh, parliament mm-hmm. and, and for hours ta- tells the members of parliament how asinine the Stamp Act is mm-hmm. and how how in how incredible this this parliament is in in making laws against the colonies yet not one member of those colonies sits in this place mm, mm-hmm. to even tell us mm-hmm. what they can afford mm-hmm. what they're like mm-hmm. and he says how can you possibly legislate for them over them when they don't even have anybody here this is william pitt now this is an well, now but now pitt is kind of um, he's unusual. He's, of course, his brother-in-law is a member of the nobility, mm-hmm. but Pitt is a commoner. He's a commoner, and so he's he's I, the great commoner. He's the great him. commoner. So he's identifying more with the set the settlers, so to speak, in that sense. I think right. And so, in a way, this becomes a class war. It does. This is the nobility and the common and the and the common clashing. the common yeah mm-hmm. the guy who represents the commons. Mm-hmm. And um, ultimately, to move along, um, they repeal it. They Mm -hmm. repeal the Stamp Act, but not after they do this. And I'll tell you, George Mason uh, has a great quote. Mm. They repealed the Stamp Act. And George Mason from Virginia. Oh, yes. From Mason One of my favorites. Yeah, he's one of mine, too. And you'll see his portrait in this this film. Mm -hmm. He, uh, He says that this reminds me. He says, you beware. You beware of these people over there. Because all this reminds me of the little boy who goes back to his mom and dad after they have scorned him for some sort of misbehavior. And they spank him, but then say, we'll let you go this time. Mm. But the next time, we'll, quote, whip you severely, end quote. Mm -hmm. And, of course, what does Parliament do? Oh, it repeals. The Stamp Act. Act. Mm -hmm. But then enacts the Declaratory Act, which simply says we have authority uh, in all cases whatsoever over the colonies. That's quote. Wow. (laughs) 
And, and of course, the minute that that's announced right. in America, mm-hmm. Mason says, "I told you so. Mm-hmm. You watch now, mm-hmm. uh, because Parliament wasn't going to be put in its place by this." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an assertion of raw power. That's we're in authority and you're not, and yeah, and you're going to have to live with it, right? And um, well, uh, you know, the king finally dismissed. Rockingham as prime minister, <laughs> and actually asked William Pitt if he would put a, a government together. And Pitt agreed. Okay. Uh, then, sadly, for the colonies, Pitt became desperately ill. Mm. This isn't the. This would not be the the last time this mm-hmm. would happen to him. He would actually die as a member of the House of Lords mm. in the House of Lords. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he became ill, and they sent him to Bath. That's yeah. where you go. You've been to to take bath. the waters. <laughs> take right. the waters. Take the waters. That's the cure. And in his place, uh, they brought up Charles Townshend, who had joined uh, Pitt's government mm-hmm. at Pitt's recommendation, mm-hmm. and made him um, prime minister. Mm-hmm. And here he goes. Um, he. Uh, tells Parliament that we have got to vigorously enforce in the colonies the Quartering Act of 1765. Mm. And um, the Quartering Act uh, required the colonies to provide housing and subsistence for British occupational forces. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they have to build the barracks and feed and clothe? They have to find the military. Not not clothe, but feed. Feed, okay. Yeah, and... um, and find them quarters. Mm-hmm. Now, some people claim, oh, this is where they went in and threw people out of their houses and so on. I'm not going to say that didn't happen with mm-hmm. the Quartering Act. Mm-hmm. But mostly this was old warehouses, uh, other buildings that they could occupy. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, the colonies were required to pay for it all. Right. They didn't have to pay the warehouse owner rent. Right. The warehouse owner better just, just yeah, put up sorry. with this. The, yeah. the, the colonies are going to have to pay for that. Right. Um, and, and then uh, New York. Imagine New York. You wouldn't think of this in New York today. But New York refused to abide by the Quartering Act. Just flat out refused and said so. And so Parliament comes along after finding this out and and enacts the New York Restraining Act, which actually dismissed their General Assembly until they did uh, 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 abide by the Quartering Act. And, you know, whenever you dismiss the Assembly, what else do you do? You basically resist, you, 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 you revoke their charter, the colonial charter that the king signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that gave them the right to have a, an assembly and a governor and on and on. It's almost like a revocation of it. So did they send a new a royal governor to New York or what did they do? Well, <laughs> they were on they, they they poured British troops into New York. okay and uh, but that still didn't quell the 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 problem. but here's what follows. Uh, Parliament acts again, even after listening to what happened or seeing what happened with respect to the Stamp Act. They come along and they enact the Revenue Act of 1767. And this required import duties to be collected in the colonies on lead, glass, paper, paint, and tea. Hmm. And um, the money would be used to uh, 
uh, to pay royal officials to collect taxes <laughs> in the colonies. Mm-hmm. Now, you can imagine how uh, uh, this went over. Mm-hmm. Then they required what, what, uh, what they called writs of assistance to be used so that uh, the British army or British authorities could go into your house without a warrant, without any notice, without probable cause, with nothing, and search your house. Were they looking for valuables? Well, they were looking for commodities and things that they have violated the Revenue Act. Oh, I see. And so... uh, uh, Oh, so they would search you for tea, paint, lead, glass. Exactly. By the way, James Otis Jr. Mm -hmm. won his fame. Mm-hmm. in arguing for like three hours in a public gathering against the writs of assistance. Mm-hmm. This is what really brought him into the forefront. I see. Was that. Uh, and this also is what brought to the forefront a man named John Dickinson. Mm-hmm. We've heard of Dickinson College. Oh, yes. Uh, John Dickinson uh, wrote a book called Letters from a Farmer in Pennsylvania. Well, he was no farmer. <laughs> this guy actually went to the Middle Temple and became a lawyer in London mm. and uh, born in Delaware. Oh, so he, he's very well educated. Very, very well educated. Mm-hmm. And Britain educated him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and of course, this was a, uh, a, a book that laid out all the arguments against the uh, Revenue Act, mm-hmm. claiming it is to, it's the same thing as the Stamp Act. Mm-hmm. They're trying to tax us mm-hmm. and penalize us, even to the point of no jury trials, anything else, uh, uh, when we don't even have anyone sitting in parliament. Mm-hmm. The taxation without representation, as we all have come to know and love this story. Mm-hmm. And... Um, this is where John Dickinson is enjoined in his objection to this by Samuel Adams in Boston. And uh, the Massachusetts Assembly, as a result of Sam Adams, sends around a circular to all the different counties to form a, uh, 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 a convention of counties. And um, Dr. Joseph Warren is enlisted. And he writes an article in the Boston Gazette criticizing the royal governor over this and calls him the devil. <laughs> and uh, he's threatened with civil and criminal penalties for his, for his comments. <laughs> and then the customs commissioners who the colonies hate, these royal customs commissioners, mm-hmm. they try to arrest John Hancock who's probably one of the wealthiest people in Boston. The customs commissioners. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they, they try to demand, well, they demand that the attorney general prosecute him because he had taken two customs officials and, and, and brought them out from the hull of one of his ships sitting in Boston Harbor against their will. But they had no business being there. Right. And the attorney general refused to prosecute him. Mm-hmm. But then they appeal this to the Treasury Board in England. Well, that would take a long time for that to happen. But see, these people wouldn't quit. It just goes on and on mm-hmm. and on and on. Mm-hmm. And um, finally, uh, Governor uh, uh, Francis Bernard just uh, uh, dissolved the Massachusetts Assembly. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they called this Convention of Towns. And um, this Convention of Towns uh, met in, in Boston. 
Um, they started in September 22nd, 1768. They uh, adjourned on the 27th of 1768. And then guess what happens? On October 1, 1768. Three days after that convention adjourns, uh, 2,500 British troops are brought into Boston Harbor mm -hmm. on 14 mm -hmm. troop transports. Mm -hmm. The 14th, 29th, 59th, 64th, 65th regiments of foot mm -hmm. are brought in. And you know, uh, Jen, the Boston had a, the town of Boston then had a circumference of about four miles. That's all it was. Mm -hmm. That's a tiny town. Mm -hmm. And when you look at its population, and you get 2,500 British troops come in, and there'll be more. Mm -hmm. There'll be more. By the time all the British troops get in to Boston, one man in four in that town was a British soldier. Mm -hmm. Now, that's pretty ominous. Mm -hmm. It's pretty frightening. Yeah. So they're saber-rattling as early as 1768. Right. And, right. Yeah. And... Um, uh, with respect to the uh, the Townshend duties, um, uh, the, the the agitation continued even with the British troops there. And then in 1770, uh, in February, um, a little boy named Christopher Snyder was with a large group of people who were protesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, one British subaltern official mm -hmm. um Claiming he felt threatened, fired a shot, and killed this kid. Mm -hmm. He was um, about 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And they said 500 schoolboys followed that casket to the grave. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt. And this is January um, 1770. Mm -hmm. And then on March 5th, and we've just passed the anniversary of this mm -hmm. in 1770. Mm -hmm. A British sentry was confronted by a mob. Now, they taunted him. They mm -hmm. yelled at him. Mm -hmm. uh, his lieutenant, his captain, called for reinforcements. Mm -hmm. They brought in reinforcements. And where was this? This is in Boston. This is on okay. State Street in Boston, right okay. near the, the, the government building. Right. And um, the mob, as, as the reinforcements came in, started throwing stuff. Mm-hmm. And they opened fire. And three were killed, two were mortally wounded. This is known as the Boston Massacre. Oh, yeah. Paul Revere mm -hmm. made it famous by mm -hmm. his engraving of what it looked like, mm -hmm. which you'll see on the screen. Mm -hmm. In mm -hmm. fact, you'll see another engraving of his. He was an engraver as well. Mm -hmm. You'll see his incredible illustration of the British troops disembarking from all their vessels and marching along the 2,000-foot pier from Boston Harbor into the heart of the city. It's the mm -hmm. most magnificent picture you ever saw. Wow. Uh, all engraved by, and that's the American Antiquarian Society has that picture. Mm. And uh, you'll get to see it. Um, that's So um, you can see now, you know, the uh, by 1772, uh, 73, um, this is an occupied city. Yeah, it's an occupied city. And mm -hmm. it's the, 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 the relationships between Britain and certainly Bostonians, but Americans in general, mm -hmm. has really soured badly. Mm -hmm. uh, they're angry. 
I'm I'm so interested in the fact that um, in Massachusetts, when the legislature was dissolved by the king, the reaction was for the towns to meet. Yeah. Did that happen in other colonies? Do yes, you know? it did. Like in New York? And they also formed in other colonies committees of correspondence where they would communicate with other, other, other colonies. Right. So yeah. you have... The, you have this network now that the crown, the crown is so foolish because they probably could have controlled the legislature, mm-hmm. but they can't control these committees no, of no, safety and these no. conventions of towns. No, they're they've they by overreaching with mm-hmm. their power and doing that power grab, it actually actually undermined Correct. Correct. overall. That's exactly right. Yeah, and you know, in the fall of seventeen seventy two, the 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 Bostonians got wind. These are ships coming in with news and English mm-hmm. newspapers and mm-hmm. so forth. Mm-hmm. Got wind that Parliament was mandating uh, that all judges of the of the courts uh, in America, all American colonies, be paid not by the colonists, but oh, by, by the, the by the board of of. Um, Customs commissioners. Oh, right. Yeah. Who they hated. Right. And in control of the crown. Yeah. And this, that, that just tips the scale even more. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They, they go crazy with this mm-hmm. because those are the ones that, frankly, the colonists have really been after because those, they're the ones that tried to jail uh, Joseph Warren and John mm-hmm. Hancock. And um, they're enforcing all these yeah. duties. And and those appointments are plum jobs from right. the crown. Right. They're well paid. Right. But those customs officials have a pretty uncertain future yeah. once they're in Boston because these people are violent. Right. This isn't just um I mean, no. this this is we're talking tarring, feathering. Oh, that's right. Killing. Yeah. Customs commissioners. Yeah, those are the ones. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, Parliament isn't through yet. It enacts a uh, a, a bill, uh, legislation that um, uh, came to the rescue of the East India Company. Mm-hmm. This is in 1773. Mm-hmm. East India Company was a tea company, and it went. And, Bought tea, uh, teas, leaves from uh, India, other other parts of the globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, made tea, but by 1772 and three, it had really run on hard times. It was having a difficult time. Mm-hmm. Now, think of this: most members of Parliament were stockholders <laughs> in the East India Company. Mm-hmm. What does what does Parliament do? What does Parliament do? It grants it a monopoly. Of the tea trade. Mm-hmm. Now, though Parliament uh, repealed much of the Townshend duties, mm-hmm. it did not repeal that part of those duties that related to tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now you know why. Of course. <laughs> and now they make the East India Company a monopoly. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you think that's set? Mm-hmm. In places like Boston and Williamsburg, and mm-hmm. I mean, you speak of outrage. Mm-hmm. You know, here they are padding their own pockets now, mm-hmm. openly and notoriously padding their pockets. Mm-hmm. And because there's no representation, 
the colonists have no recourse. Right. They can't even be heard. Right. You know, if if our representatives do something, we can make an outrage phone call or we can write a letter. Yeah. And we can remind them, you're my you represent me, but the yeah. colonists couldn't even reach. But you know, that was a weakness for Britain because they couldn't hear how upsetting these outrages were. Yeah, and also they wouldn't hear. And they're so far yeah. away. Yeah. Well, and yeah. you're right, the arrogance the and arrogance the power. Of them. But still, there's no um, check on what they're doing. Yeah. And so, so in in um, in, uh, in in December, December 15, 1773, what happens in Boston in response to the Tea Act? Well, uh, the Bostonians watch two East India Company ships come into Boston Harbor. And uh, they're all, they all decide to meet in Fainal Hall and uh, Old South Church. Mm-hmm. And um, they come out of their meeting being led by a crowd of men who are dressed like Mohawk Indians. Mm-hmm. Probably just to disguise their identities, yeah, right? More than likely. Yeah. It's not because of— they, No. Yeah. No. And they go to Griffin Wharf, where those two ships are. Mm-hmm. And what do they do? They get on board and they throw every daggone box of tea into the into the harbor. Mm-hmm. So much so, uh, and then they ransack the warehouses mm-hmm. after they get through disinvesting those ships <laughs> of all the tea that they brought in. Mm-hmm. They, they they don't de- stop there. They destroyed one million seven hundred thousand pounds sterling of tea. Mm. And when when Parliament and when the uh, uh, administration in Britain heard of what happened uh, to the East India Tea, um, they immediately got Parliament to pass legislation shutting down Boston Harbor mm-hmm. altogether. Yeah. Now, wow. this is tough. And on the same time they did that, they named General Thomas Gage as governor of Massachusetts. Yeah. 1774. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, so now they're going to starve yeah, the people. Yeah, they're going to starve them. They're going to deprive them. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, up to this point in time, many of these colonists had tried to agree not to, Im- not to buy imported goods from England, all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They were having a hard time. Mm-hmm. They were really having a hard time with it. And now it's completely shut down. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Parliament continues its enactments against particularly Massachusetts uh, by the Massachusetts Governance Act. And it requires the uh, colonial courts to be appointed by the governor and uh, who is now a general, Thomas mm-hmm. Gage. That's right. <laughs> and the juries governor. are going to be chosen by the sheriff in mm-hmm. any kind of case, mm-hmm. any case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you see the the, the revolt here is not just over taxation without representation. Oh, no. It's, so it's much... all the rights these people are being stripped of. Right. It's so much broader. Uh, yeah. Treated like uh, criminals, really. Treated like, uh, 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 I mean, it's just, it's horrible. And there was there were people starving in Boston. Oh, yeah. As a result you of this. You can see. And uh, then they reenacted the Quartering Act as well. They even passed an act, to get this, to save money. People out in the world here will not believe this, but this is in the same statutes. They they even said that it will not be considered a crime 
if you killed children. Now, that's basically, that's all it said. They it will not be considered a crime if you kill children. And what they were getting at in this, the preamble to that, were all the children who were orphans, mm -hmm. all the children who were illegitimate, mm -hmm. all those. They were quartering all these soldiers and, in Boston. Uh, okay, yeah, they exactly. didn't want all those uh, children to become yeah. wards of the British state. Right. Yeah. And they want to pay for these children. Right. Now, can you imagine anything as cold as that? Mm. That's, the most, that's the coldest, most ruthless mm -hmm. thing I think I have ever read. And you'll see the bill on mm -hmm. the screen. Mm -hmm. um, William Pitt rec recuperates, comes back into commons and tries to tell, um, rather, the House of Lords and tries to tell them to, you know, please, we've got to get the troops out of Boston. Mm -hmm. We've got we to gotta make peace with these people. We've got to mm -hmm. be reasonable about this. And he was virtually shouted out. Hmm. And uh, you'll see a wonderful illustration in the film owned by a dear friend of mine. Uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, who uh, you'll see William Pitt. And on this table in front of Pitt in this painting is a map of North America and a bill to remove the troops from Boston. Oh, that's cool. Isn't that cool? Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Lord Dartmouth, the um, uh, military overseer in the administration in Britain, told um, Gage that um, he should arrest all those Whig leaders. He should confiscate their weapons and invoke martial law. Mm. Mm -hmm. And um, Gage, on September 1, 1774, sent 260 British soldiers, 4th Regiment of Foot, to Charlestown to seize 250 barrels of gunpowder over there and two artillery pieces. Mm -hmm. Well, you believe, you, you see it setting up the alarm around, oh, sure. around all those counties around Boston. Sure. That did it. That did it. They weren't going to keep their stores in Boston anymore. No, no. People were arming. Mm -hmm. And then his, his agents of, of, of uh, General Gage, Governor Gage, uh, reported to him that there's a large stash of weapons in Concord, mm -hmm. Massachusetts, just beyond Lexington. Mm -hmm. And um, Gage then turns to his troops there. And on the 18th of April, 1775, directs that eight companies of light infantry, eight companies of grenadiers, of no fewer than nine regiments of foot uh, gather across the back bay of Boston and then march from Cambridge to Lexington, from Lexington to Concord to seize those weapons. Mm -hmm. And of course, here's where Margaret Kemble Gage uh, pulls Dr. Uh, Joseph Warren aside and tells him they're going to march mm -hmm. to Concord. Mm -hmm. And Warren then sends the notice out to all the Sons of Liberty. Mm -hmm. The question that the colonists have is, 
how are they going to get to Cambridge? Are they going to go around the land Mm -hmm. or are they going to cross Boston Harbor? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, They get – they they turn to uh, Revere and Paul Revere uh, goes up to two of his friends, uh, a man named Robert Newman and another named John Pulling. And he tells them on uh, the night of the 18th, I want you to go up into the Tower of Old North Church. And I want you to, if, if we know they're moving by sea, uh, hang out uh, two lanterns. Mm-hmm. If they go by land, hang out one. Mm-hmm. One if by land, two, two if by, by sea. And I on the opposite shore shall be. <laughs> <laughs> and they do. And they, uh, that's how Revere mm-hmm. is notified that they're going across the harbor. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as we said before, it's not just Revere who is on the lookout. Oh, no, no. There's an entire network of riders. And it's, it's through the Sons of Liberty and the Convention of Towns all and of all of that. People have been mobilizing now for years, yes, months they have. and years, yeah. uh, sharing information. These yeah. are the days before easy communication. Yeah. So it's all done. Right. They're not going to use paper because of the Stamp Act. So it's all word of mouth. <laughs> all word of mouth. It's so right. interesting. Right. It is very interesting. And, yeah. And um, you're right. They had been planning for this for years. Mm-hmm. They had uh, they had a network of riders going out mm-hmm. everywhere mm-hmm. on those counties outside of Boston, Yeah. Uh, notifying everybody, notifying the churches, the, the ministers and churches, notifying county leaders, everyone, mm-hmm. uh, militia uh, leaders. Mm-hmm. And so you had militias gathering all over. Uh, and the and, area around Boston. Yeah, and and apparently, I mean, and we'll see this as I understand in the movie. You can tell us more about this in a mm-hmm. minute. But when they get to Lexington, there's bystanders. Oh they're, yeah, they're yeah. they're gathered. It's four in the <laughs> morning, spectators. and there are spectators, <laughs> yeah. men, women, children, yeah. Yeah. up wanting to see what will happen next. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's how alert everybody is. Yeah, yeah. It it, it had come to the point where. The, the colonists had resolved to, to resist, mm-hmm. if they can, mm-hmm. this sort of military Seizure. operation. Mm-hmm. They had put up with everything. Mm-hmm. And um, no one listened to them. No one cared about them. Mm-hmm. They didn't even and, have uh, a forum in which to be They have heard. no rights. They right. can't earn any money. They can't right. do anything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and as one, one historian put it, and I think aptly, that parliament was enacting laws, not because it benefited anybody, but because they thought they just had the power to do so. Mm-hmm. And well, it, and they were benefiting themselves. Of course, too. many a times you they In were. In many cases, absolutely, they with were. East India Company. Yes, exactly. Et yeah. Well, we, folks, we we kind of know what happened. Um, they went to got to Lexington in the wee, really early morning dawn. Uh, Lexington on the 19th of April, the British force. And there they saw about 70 or 80 militiamen lined up against this huge contingent coming out. Yeah, about how many men? You were describing the number of regiments of foot, but how many British officers and soldiers do you think there were? Between eight and 900. Okay, so that's big. It's big. So it's about 10 times the number of militia. Yes. Okay. And uh, there, Captain Parker had his – he was related to four, almost one-fourth of the guys he had in front of him. On the Lexington uh, with him Green. On Lexington Green. Mm-hmm. And he told them that, you know, be steady. Don't chew fire unless fired upon. And he says, but they mean to have a war now. Let it begin here. Mm-hmm. 
this guy was not going to move. And um, mm-hmm. uh, the British troops came up, lined up in front of him with the, uh, the little town buildings behind him and the bell tower behind him. And um, uh, the Major Pitcairn of the Royal Marines rides out in front of his, his uh, files of soldiers with their muskets and bayonets. And he tells them to throw down your arms, you damn rebels. <laughs> and uh, no one responds. It didn't go over very well. And as, <laughs> no. And as he's riding back, a shot is fired. Mm-hmm. From whom? We'll never know. We'll never know. Mm-hmm. It's the shot heard round the world. Mm-hmm. No one knows who fired it. Mm-hmm. But the minute it was fired, the first file of British soldiers levels their muskets and opens mm-hmm. fire. And men start to fall. That ignites the war. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and, it, and frankly, they brushed aside the little militia in Lexington with no problem at all. Mm-hmm. Went to Concord where they were supposed to find the weapons mm-hmm. and gunpowder. And there at Old North Bridge, they met hundreds mm-hmm. of militia mm-hmm. that had been gathering in all these towns. Mm-hmm. And they got into a nasty fight with them at Concord Bridge mm-hmm. and then had to retreat. And then all the way back to Boston, they were ambushed after ambush after ambush all the way back in Mm -hmm. the woods. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On either side of the old road. You can still walk on that road today. Mm -hmm. It's beautifully Um, preserved. It is beautifully preserved. The Park Service up there. um, And, of course, um, this is the... uh, this is the open. These are the opening shots of the American Revolution. It's going to be a wonderful film. It'll I be know a, be a you're going to have film. recreated scenes of all this action. You'll see them on Lexington Green. Mm-hmm. You'll see them uh, um, marching to and from uh, Concord. Mm-hmm. You'll see them. Uh, you'll see Revere and his and his and his cohorts riding into the dark. Mm-hmm. You'll see the lanterns hung in Old North Church. Mm-hmm. You'll even see the British crossing the back bay of Boston. And we'll see these wonderful faces of all and these visages yeah. of these characters yeah. who are the the main players yeah. Yeah. in right. all this action. That's it's right. going to be a wonderful, beautiful film. <laughs> I think it will be. Can't we wait. need all your help, though, for everyone who's we listening. We do. Anyone who would it's... like to participate, we are, we'll give you credit on the credit roll. <laughs> what, we, what you can do to give to the foundation is uh, go on the website, and there you can see the uh, the, the the button for donations mm-hmm. and uh, make a gift and make a gift. Uh, it's tax deductible and uh, but it's these films are expensive to make as you can imagine. Oh yeah, and um, uh, we need all the help we can get. And alternatively, if they don't want to do an online gift, we can have a check mailed. Oh yes, and it's Witnessing History Education Foundation, P.O. Box twelve zero eight, Lexington, Lexington Kentucky four zero five eight eight dash one two zero eight. Right, and that address is on the website too. On that's that same on the page. website as right. well. So right. there's lots of ways to give, lots of opportunities, and we're excited to have all of you participate yeah. with us in this venture. And I'm it, sadly, I mean, it, it, to think about. This is the first film, documentary film, ever made about this. 
Is that right? Never before. They've had films on just Lexington. Oh, sure. They've had films on, you know, various aspects but of But the this. coming of the revolution. But not the whole sweep mm-hmm. of what happened. Putting com- it in context. And with all the documents, all mm-hmm. the the acts of parliament, the, the, mm-hmm. the king's royal proclamation of 1763. You'll see it on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those things will be on the screen, plus all the portraiture, the maps, and um, and, the then, recreated and then the recreated scenes, which mm-hmm. are absolutely remarkable. So, mm-hmm. Well, we can't wait to see it. I can't either. <laughs> Everyone who's listening to the podcast, comment below and tell us what you're looking forward to most in, in watching this film. Yeah. And, what yeah. you're looking forward to learning from and this And thanks film. for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Kent. You're welcome. Thank you. Become an American hero who participates in our mission by joining us at witnessinghistory.org. Download our documentaries and free teacher education materials that conform to grade-level education standards at pbslearning.org. Follow Witnessing History on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn.